Hello, welcome to another episode of the Business Samurai Podcast, which is a podcast about business and pop culture, and also, more importantly, a companion podcast to the Business Samurai webcomic, which you should definitely read. Uh, my name is Ramon Cuenca, CFA. I am the creator of Business Samurai. Okay, uh, so this is um, a topic I've wanted to talk about for a while. Uh, and there were some news last week that I thought would be a good reason for me to talk about. It. And it's about uh, South Korea and its uh, strategy of exporting its culture. Specifically, its pop culture via K-pop and K-drama. Um, this is, after all, a podcast about business and pop culture, and you know, uh, K-pop, K-dramas is both. It's also, you know, it's also about uh, Korea's economy, and and uh, I think it's great too because not only do you get insight into how to produce content that uh, appeals to millions of people, but also you learn about the business strategy and also the economic strategy behind uh, uh, South Korea's success in ex- exporting its pop culture. So this is um so the news that came out last week was that Netflix was going to invest half a billion dollars in original uh Korean content in one year. Now for comparison uh in previous years I think 2016 to 2020 maybe the the total amount that Netflix had invested was 700 million. So so for this year alone, 2021, Netflix is going to invest 500 million, so half a billion U.S. dollars. So it's pretty nuts, and we'll talk more about that later. Um, so this is a bit more of an involved uh, topic uh, because I wanted to, you know, even though it's this, this is, we're just skimming the surface of this topic, I do want to give you some broad, um, some broad, you know, points as to uh, what this this. Uh, uh, this uh the, the the success of Korea is all about South Korea, is all about. Uh, so um, we're splitting this this topic into two podcasts. So this podcast, uh, which is coming out on Tuesday, March two, it's the first podcast, part one, and then the second podcast, part two, uh, will come out on Thursday, March two, three, four, March four. Yeah. So let's get started. Okay. So. Uh, I want to talk a bit about my own experience with uh, Korean content. Um, since uh, I've spent half my life in the Philippines and half of it in the U.S., basically, with a few years in Singapore, um, I studied uh, university in the U.S. and in, in the mid two thousands. And uh, I noticed when I started coming back, I used to, I used to come back to the Philippines to Manila for summer vacation. And when I was coming back, I noticed like before, like the international, like you know, pop charts and whatever here would be dominated by U.S. acts. But I started noticing more and more Korean stuff, so it was, it was interesting. You know, I was like, okay, well, I guess Korea is selling its culture to other countries. So yeah, okay, whatever. And um, it, it was interesting that they're doing this. Uh, uh, but at the time, see, this is, and this is something I want to I want to talk about that I don't think has been talked about a lot. But like in the mid two thousands, uh. The Korean content really hadn't crafted the its look just yet. Um, if you look at like the '90s, for example, I think a lot of it was very similar to Japanese pop content. But you know, today, like it's completely different from Japanese content. You can tell just by looking at it that that uh, this is Korean, for example. So you know, I was aware of it. It's like okay, fine, whatever. This is for like you know, you know, teeny boppers and you know, housewives, people who like to watch soap operas, etc. So I'm not really the target demographic. Until um, 
Well, no, no. Wait, wait, let me let me before I continue. Uh, let me let me backtrack on that. I did watch a movie around the period, a South Korean movie called Old Boy, which is an awesome movie. So that's definitely for for guys. You should check that out if you haven't seen it. It's a really cool movie. So it's that was, that was more of an action and suspense movie. But other than that, like a lot of the Korean content struck me as being you know mostly for women, which a lot of it still is. But uh, what happened was my parents started watching uh, Korean drama on the on the Korean um on the Korean channel here, so KBS World. Um, and this is back in the mid 2000s in late 2000s. And what was interesting about Korean or, or KBS was that unlike all of the other, virtually all the other foreign channels, whenever they had content out, I mean, whenever Korea, KBS broadcasted shows, they always had English translations. So that's kind of a duh, like no brainer thing, but like, you know, it makes a big difference. So like my parents started watching all this, like, Korean content that was subtitled in English and so they got into it so eventually my parents wanted to go visit Korea right so I went with them in 2012 I, I took a break from uh during during a uh Christmas break uh from from work I was working in Singapore at the time we went to South Korea to Seoul and well you know saw all the touristy stuff and I went out uh some friends had some drinks and uh uh I was at this one karaoke and like all there were all these TV monitors there and all of a sudden I saw like literally like the most uh, beautiful woman I've ever seen. Like this woman like walked in, in, in the movie theater. She's like perfect looking, like really, really like good looking woman. And like even like the, um, even like the uh, the way they were dressed was so u- unique and different. So it was a girl group called Tiara. So T dash A R A uh, Tiara. And the, the song was called Roly Poly. So look it up. There are two versions. Look at the one where they're like in a disco. Look it up on YouTube. So, but man, I saw these, this girl. Like her name is Gion. And like, whoa, she's, she's like so fucking hot. I was like, oh my God. My jaw dropped to the floor. I was like, whoa, this is like, like perfect looking women, right? Um, I should have put her picture up here, but I have my manga instead because I'm here to promote my manga. So if you're watching on YouTube, you can see, uh, you can see if it's, if it's a strip on a... Um, uh, from uh, from last week's uh, episode in, in the Business Samurai manga. So, anyways, I forgot. But anyways, look it up, uh, Tiara. But yeah, before I forget, uh, you can see from uh, this this strip for this uh, this past week that uh, Chloret is asking Iris, like, oh, it's the most important goal of a business to fuck people over? And it kind of is, <laughs> jokingly. It's a little bit subversive, but yeah, check it out. Uh, please read the, um, that episode, last week's episode uh, on, on Webtoon. Also a Korean platform, by the way. So yeah. Um, okay, so going back to South Korea. All right. So yeah, look it up. T-R-A, T-A-R-A, uh, roly-poly on YouTube. Like seriously, like just freaking like these flawless looking women. So I was like, wow, like, well, these girls are hot. <laughs> so I, I, I kind of started, so I watched them. So after I watched these girls on, 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 uh, on TV, I looked them up on YouTube and I, you know, I fell down that YouTube rabbit hole. I started clicking and clicking more. And eventually before I knew it, I was watching all this Korean, all this Korean content. So that's how I got sucked into it. Um, well, they really know how to get you, right? All these, these perfectly looking, uh, you know, men and women, right? Appealing to both genders or whatever gender you are. Um, yeah. And that's, and that's something I want to get into is the production values of Korean content, but we'll get, we'll get to that later. Uh, I want to. I still want to talk about more of the macro stuff for this episode. So this episode, we'll talk more about the macro economy and the the economic stuff behind um, South Korea's world domination. 
and uh, next episode will another, excuse me the following episode will talk more about the specifics of uh, K-pop and K-drama what they do that makes them so different and unique at least in my opinion and the, and the opinion of others because as, as you know if you've listened to this podcast before I you know tend to read a lot from different sources okay so uh, let's start again with uh, Netflix so why is Netflix uh, investing half a billion dollars in Korean content this year uh, I'm reading this is from a Bloomberg newsletter I, I subscribe to but uh, basically, um, let's see, the recipe for more success, I'm just reading from, uh, from this, uh, this article, uh, this is regarding, uh, Netflix's success in, in the Asian Pacific region. The recipe for more success is making more original shows in Korean since South Korea doubles as a cultural hub for the broader region. So it's not just South Korea Netflix is trying to get. It's trying to get the all of Asia Pacific. People in Japan and Southeast Asia, where I live currently, eat up Korean dramas and movies. And it's true. So like in the Philippines, if you watch, uh, you know, the, the top 10 list, you look at it in Netflix, it's almost all, it's at least, at, at, at any given time, it's at least 50% um, Korean content. And even there, there was one director who was, there was one local director who was complaining, like, why is it all Korean content? Well, you know, because it's, it's good, apparently. Um, yeah. So, and it's, it's, it's the, I mean, the, 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 the hype is real. So, I mean, yeah, Asia tends to be the biggest market for South Korean content, but they, you know, um, they have their followings in the U.S. and the West, and uh, the U.S., uh, the Western Europe, Latin America. It's, it's pretty, it's pretty popular there. Um, to the point where uh, the there's a boy, there's a Korean boy band called BTS, and all of what they do, all the products, like their songs, whatever they produce, last year, or excuse me, twenty nineteen. Accounted for a whopping four point six five billion of gross domestic product. So that's this is actually this For this uh, Forbes article right here. Uh, that puts it on league. I mean, this is what the writer is saying. This puts it on league, uh, the same economic league as like Samsung and other top Korean conglomerates. So when have you ever heard of a boy band being a significant part of a country's uh, economy? How how nuts is that? So you know. Uh, we can talk more about BTS and K-pop in the next episode, like why they're so successful. But again, I want to talk about the macroeconomic stuff for this episode. Okay, so uh, there's a really good uh, article that a friend of mine sent me a while back. Uh, it's on Oxfordre, O-X-F-O-R-D-R-E.com. Uh, uh, South Korea's Economic Development, 1940 to 1996. It's a free article, so you check it out. Uh, by Michael J. Seth. So it's an it's a article about what they how South Korea had done, had basically done so well. So you have to remember that uh, when South Korea was created in 1948, it was one of the world's poorest countries. Um, so there are a bunch of things I won't. You should read the article. It's, it's a you know it's it's quite a long read, but it's worth it. It's just really good to know about this stuff because as you and I are both voters in our respective countries. So it's good to know what sort of policies are good for, for generating prosperity in, in, in an economy. So uh, I'm, I'm just reading a few passages here since it's free anyway. So uh, two fundamental changes took place in South Korea society before 1961 that, that contributed enormously to the country's economic takeoff. So one was a rapid expansion of education. So unsurprisingly, education, uh, massive investment in education is very important for generating prosperity and wealth in your country. Uh, the other major change was land reform carried out in 1950 on the eve of the Korean War. Um, 
1944, 3% of landowners owned 64% of land. But in 1956, the top 6% owned only 18%. How crazy. That's a massive change. I mean, think about it. If you're a landlord, would you want to give your land away so willingly? I mean, that's... You know, I live in the Philippines. It's, a, it's basically a lot of economy. And like, you know, it's, it's such an easy life. You just live off, live off rent. So it's amazing that that happened. Like, that just goes to show you like how, I guess, the, the social bonds in, in society, in my opinion, are, are pretty strong. Um, in my opinion. Um, okay. Traditional peasants became small entrepreneurial farmers and many landowners invested in business or established schools. How amazing is that? I would love to see that happen in the Philippines. <laughs> uh, yeah, right. Um, land reform brought stability to the countryside and redirected much of the capital and, and entrepreneurial energy of the old landlord class towards commerce, industry, and education. Right. Several steps were taken to direct the state toward economic growth. The development of five-year economic plans. It sounds like China, but... You know, South Korea is a capitalist economy, so it's interesting. It's sort of an East Asian type of model, possibly, in my view. Uh, the redirection of the economy from import substitution to export-oriented industrial development and state control, so government control over credit, so over, over loans, basically. So the government gets to, decide, gets to decide who to fund. So something like this, and I, should, I just want to interject here. This kind of stuff was all the rage in the developing world back in the 70s and 60s and 70s, but... But like only like only like the East Asian tigers were able to develop out of it. So like South Korea and Taiwan, for example. And why? Because you know they there was a strong existing society beforehand. I, I cannot emphasize that enough. And I'll talk about that before this uh pod, this episode ends. Okay. A major feature of South Korea's economic development was its focus on acquiring technical skills. The state created a number of centers to promote research and, and, and the dissemination of technical knowledge to, to business enterprises such as Korean Institute of Science and Technology, KIST, established in 1966. Right? At the same time, the Park Administration, so this is the dictator at the time, made impressive progress in professionalizing the state bureaucracy. Officials received appointment through a highly competitive civil service examination system. So again, you'll see you'll see this in a lot in uh in in uh, East Asian societies, in my opinion, and I think it's from a, uh, I guess it's from Confucian tradition where exams are so important. So, uh, high highly competitive civil service examination system, and were promoted based on clear guidelines for merit. Attracted by good pay and benefits, job security, and enhanced prestige, many of the country's top university graduates, as well as those with overseas degrees, entered the ranks of the bureaucracy. As a result, a highly competent, respected set of officials were able to help guide and promote economic and social development. Yeah. So again, the existing social structure was there for this because they already had, I mean, South Korea, East Asian countries, they, they have that kind of, uh, that kind of, you know, scholarly, you know, bureaucracy, professional bureaucracy. They have that in their, in their, in their cultural DNA. They've had it for centuries. Um. In 1966, the Foreign Capital Inducement Act exempted foreign managers from tax from income taxes, provided tax holidays, and streamlined the process of investing in the country. So foreign direct investment. Uh, so the U.S. and Japan were big, big uh, partners in, in South Korea's economic development. Uh, Korean cheap labor and Japanese capital and technology were a good match. Okay. Uh, but then in the 1970s, uh, there was a change in, in the direction of economic development, a shift to heavy industry and, to, and the production of capital goods. 
accompanied by more restrictive policies on foreign direct investment. This change was motivated by a desire to, to become more economically and politically, politically autonomous. So, so basically, the country opened up its economy to foreign direct investment and then, you know, uh, learned skill. I'm sure they learned skills from it. There's always a sort of a skills transfer when this, when, when this type of stuff happens. Then they close it for a bit. So they close the economy for a bit uh, so they can develop their own local champions. So here's the thing, like, uh, this is something that Japan did, by the way, in the in the 1800s. And uh, uh, when the when the Japanese did this, they they looked at one uh, German um, economist who I am forgetting the name of, unfortunately. But this guy doesn't get talked about enough in uh, in, in in Western academia, in my in my perspective, in my point of view, because uh, at least where I went to school in the University of Chicago, like it was either like Adam Smith or Karl Marx. Adam Smith or Karl, Karl Marx, like right and left, right and left. But like, there's nothing like about this guy. Uh, gosh, I can't remember his name, but he talked about opening a company up to trade, then closing it for a bit, then opening it up again. So this works in the East Asian context. Uh, and, you know, if I had my way, I would change it to, so that uh, th things like this, like uh, East Asia's economic development should be to talk to more often, um, should be talked about more often in the West. Um, right. Um, let's see. I'm skipping a few things here. So despite the fact that many foreign experts believed South Korea was neither ready nor large enough to support a heavy industrial base, the plan was largely successful. So can you imagine that? They, they proved the experts wrong. The economy grew by double digits despite a less favorable, inter favorable international situation in the 1970s. So this is like the, the oil crisis, uh, for example. Um, I know that like in the U.S. and the Philippines, like the economies are, are doing really badly at this point. Um, uh, obviously, 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 we can't talk about South Korea's economic development without talking about the Chebols. So, uh, these are large family-owned conglomerates. Uh, so, they the Korean government worked with uh, selected business entrepreneurs to to achieve development goals. So, this sort of like a sort of state uh, government and business like holding hands partnership, big business, and uh, uh, opening and then closing the economy and opening it again. Like this stuff was all the all the rage, um, if I'm not mistaken, back in the 60s and 70s. I mean, um, in the Philippines, we had a dictator too named Ferdinand Marcos, and he tried to do it. But again, the society isn't, wasn't conducive to that. I mean, I can talk about the Philippines in another episode. But basically, uh, South Korea or Korea and, and you know countries of Korea and Japan, they existed autonomously autonomously as a as kingdoms for centuries, whereas. Uh, a country like the Philippines is a creation of imperialism or colonialism by another by another country. So it's there's no like there's no strong like there aren't these strong social bonds and uh you know where and or where society follows the rules for example it's just you know history. So this this never gets talked about enough in in literature of economic development and maybe because it's not DC but it's true, right? I, I live in a poor country. It's true. Or I currently live in a poor country. Uh, right. So, you know, some people, you know, there, there's people talk about the Confucian culture, why the, all these East Asian countries are so successful. Because um, if you think about it, uh, and, and I, I'm not, I'm, I'm going, I'm not reading off the, off this webpage anymore, but uh, if you think about it, all developed countries are either Western European or East Asian. And 
again, in my point of view, like, I mean, Confucian culture isn't the only thing that has to do with the success of South Korea and other East Asian countries. But I think it's definitely a big, you know, it's definitely a big thing because, you know, you look at like a lot of East Asians, like they, they really, they really value studying and, you know, they, the examination system is so deeply entrenched in their culture, at least based on my observations. You know, I went to, I went to University of Chicago and, uh, you know, there were a lot of smart people there, but like the, the smartest people there were like, you know, East Asians. And I mean, I mean, I'm not trying to be racist or anything, but like a lot of a lot of really smart people that were either East Asian or Singaporean in particular, because Singapore sent its scholars to the, to the University of Chicago. So, I mean, there were a lot of, of really smart people there from all backgrounds, but but like like, you know, East Asians and Singaporeans in particular just did really well. I mean, that was unobservable. I mean, they, they, I remember there used to be a Facebook group where uh where it was like a Singapore, Singaporean curves, curves busters, curve busters unions. They would ruin the curve for everyone else. But again, then again, to be fair, those are their, those are the best uh, scholars, uh, the scholars in the, in the, from Singapore. But still, I, I do think there is like a, again, it's, it's not, it's not inherent. It's the, it, you know, the, the, these are, these are all accidents of history and, and the actions of certain individuals throughout history where, why these things happen. Right. So, I do think, in my opinion, I do think uh, a shared Confucian culture does have, and a shared hi- Confucian culture and history has a role to play in this, right? Um, let's see. So yeah, uh, you know, reading this article makes me think about Japan's economic development too, which you know followed some similar lines in some ways back in the 1800s. Remember, Japan was the first non-Western uh, nation to industrialize in one generation. Uh, so right okay so uh i just want to finish this discussion about sort of the backdrop for why south korean culture has done so well um um let's see i i couldn't find any legit sources because i'd I'd, I'd rather um i'd rather you know cite websites where that have uh you know um academic or at least journalistic reputation a good, a good, a good academic or journalistic reputation. That is, um, but it looks like it appears that after the government, um, again, because remember, South Korea became an export-oriented economy. Uh, they, after exporting, you know, um, more basic goods, than they they got into uh, electronics. I mean, uh, the, th- the thing is that as you move the value chain when you're when you're an economy. Uh, obviously, your economy does well, and like the the labor, uh, the labor for your manufactured products becomes more expensive, so you become less competitive. It's just, it, that's just a uh, a result of industrialization. And I mean, theoretically, uh, wage goes wages go up, so people get richer. So like, when when South Korea becomes less competitive, you know, in uh in just and in, in just competing on price for manufactured products like. Uh, cars or electronics or whatever. I mean, they're facing competition from, from like China and Vietnam, for example. What else can they export? And as I've talked about in a previous episode, and I think this was my episode on on content and everything, but like they decided to export their culture. So that is very interesting. So you have the Hallyu, the Korean way that's so big all over Asia um, and, and, and increasing the rest of the world. So... Uh, I mean, it makes sense too. So, like, so, like, I talked about it from a supply standpoint, from the from the point of the suppliers of products. So, they're uh, South Korea Inc.'s business strategy. That is, they're they're supplying products and services. Like, once you go from like agricultural to like you know basic 
um, manufactured goods to more high tech goods to like software, which Korea has done all, all in all, all these things. What else can you export? Can you export your culture, your content, because content differentiates software. As, I've, as I say, like a, as a bro, uh, like a broken record every episode of this podcast. Oops, sorry. Um, so, yeah. Um, yeah. So, and, and from a demand stand, standpoint, from the, from the um, point of view of the consumer, it's, it kind of follows Maslow's hierarchy of needs. I don't know if you ever heard of that, but... Uh, you know, it's a, it's a controversial paradigm, but basically it's the idea that when you get your basic needs met, you want nicer stuff. So like luxury items or content and stuff like that. And uh, I mean, it's funny because like you like theoretically South Korea has provided all those things throughout Ma- Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And now they're, they're at the top of the Maslow's hierarchies of needs, providing uh, content. So things like arts and, and you know, um, emotional, satisfying people's emotional needs and creative needs, et cetera, et cetera. So there's that. I mean, I myself have been inspired by South Korean content. So, uh, going back to like you know my own my own manga, uh, the look of like the girls in Business Samurai, so like Lee Shui Claret, Ga, and uh, Iris, like they were very much uh, influenced by a lot of these South Korean girl groups, um, particularly Tiara, but also another one called XID, whatever. Look them up also. Uh, but yeah, even the look of like some of my artwork too is inspired by Korean content because they've just they've nailed it down and, and they, it, it looks unique. It really looks like it's their, their own. Uh, so and I've been inspired by them as much as I'm inspired by by East Asian uh, excuse me Japanese content. I'm also very much inspired by uh, South Korean content content at this point. So yeah, um, that is it for for today's episode. Um, Stay tuned uh, next Thursday for this coming Thursday, March 4th, for part two of this discussion where we talk about the things that um, K pop and K drama did uh, to really make them successful. Excuse me, successful. So, from a macro point of view to a more micro point of view next uh, next episode. So, all right, I'll see you then. Uh, if you like uh, this podcast, the, the best way you can support me right now is. Yes, you can follow, you can subscribe to the podcast, but please go to uh, Webtoon, the uh, web comics uh, platform, and subscribe to the Business Samurai manga because um, I am I am uh, looking to pitch and uh, uh, raise some money uh, for my manga this year to get it into other platforms or other mediums, and uh, any anything that looks that looks good. Um, Anything that raises the subscriber count directly on my on the comics page looks good. So like just good good opt uh, good optics when I talk to investors. So uh, the links are in the description. Uh, so yeah, please do that. Uh, please go to Webtoon and please subscribe. Uh, thank you so much again, and I will see you uh, on on uh, on Thursday. All right, bye bye.